So how have the last few weeks been for you? <laughs> They've been more uneventful than they were probably due to be, I would say. And and I really should apologise because it's, it's kind of my fault that we haven't put out a podcast in a couple of weeks. No. Well, sort of. I think it's one of those things you have to prefix everything. I have... I have not been tested for anything, but the doctors and nurses believe me to have had the virus. Yeah. And from what I can make out, <laughs> it was a pretty bad go at the virus. I don't know if it, how it works, whether it's a bad strain or whether it was just uh, particularly difficult for you. But uh, I think a bit of an understatement to say you've been feeling pretty rough the last few weeks. They, they haven't been great. And, and the, I think the few things I take away from it are... A, how quickly it can appear, come on, if if this is what we believe to be the coronavirus. Because it was a Monday and I'd been doing some early morning runs through lockdown and I'd gone out about seven o'clock, run, I think, five miles. Not very fast, as we know, it's never very fast. But I came back and I was feeling good and I was getting ready to homeschool and everything was sort of normal. And just around the afternoon time, started to feel a bit achy, a bit weary. And by six o'clock, I was out. I was, it, it felt at that point like full on flu. And I stayed in bed for the next six days. Wow. So I, I got to say, you spend the first few days thinking, do I have it? If I haven't got it, what have I got? Because I haven't been anywhere. And everyone that I spoke to said, well, where did you get it? <laughs> yes, I don't know. I As if it. you remember. Oh, yeah, that time I licked a tube seat. Well, is the... <laughs> wow, is that something you've done? <laughs> um, you know, the, the most common thing, theory, assumption by people is, well, that's what happens when you go to the supermarket. But <laughs> I, I haven't been to the supermarket since before we were locked down. Yeah, I mean, completely. I mean, we were talking every day and it was... It was each day was totally different. So I would hear from you saying, oh, I feel like I'm on the mend today. And I'm thinking, OK, right. Thank goodness for that. That's great. And then the next day you think, OK, I've gone backwards. <laughs> Who takes me say it's not good today. It's really bad. And it was just like that, wasn't it? Every other day, you just didn't really know how you were going to feel. It, it was it was really strange. And, and that's why I think I kept doubting myself saying, well, maybe it isn't it. And is it? And I'm not sure. And where could I have picked it up? But I think for me, it was the Saturday night. So day six. And I'd, I'd watched a, a, a movie in the evening at home, obviously. And I felt pretty good. So I remember saying to my other half, I've cracked it. I've done it. I've got rid of this. Whatever it was, it's gone. I'm fine. Tomorrow it's going to be back to normal. And went to bed thinking, great. And the, and the fever had gone down. I did have this cough and some other bits and pieces. And I think, I think I'm fairly, I, I'm sort of young-ish. Can we say young-ish? And, <laughs> and uh, I think I'm healthy-ish. Well, you're not in a vulnerable category. And not in a vulnerable category. That's what, what you mean, right? Yeah. You're and not I, 70. I'm not. <laughs> I, I do feel it right now, but no, I'm not 70. Um, for me, day seven, woke up, went to the bathroom, had a shower, and then was pretty much unable to breathe. Uh, I think probably 90% of my breathing had gone. And that was the really scary part for me. It was, I managed to get myself downstairs, taking like tiny gasping breaths. Then I started feeling dizzy because I wasn't getting enough air in. And, and that's, that's, that's really scary because there's, I think all the other symptoms you've had, you know, the aches and a fever and a cough and a sore throat and whatever else you get, you've had them. Um, but I've never had any problems with breathing. And I've got to say, I, I, think, I think the twins, without realising it, sort of helped me because I was in the kitchen struggling to breathe. 
and they're going, Mummy, I've just got a trophy. Mummy, can you help me on this? I've just I've just got these coins. Mummy, can you can you do this? And so you have to calm down because you've got two little people kind of looking at you. Um, but pretty scary. Experiencing something that you haven't experienced before. Yeah, for sure. Well, anytime you can't breathe properly, it's really, really scary. I've never been in that situation. So I'm just glad that you're you're on the mend now, right? Yeah, it's... I feel I feel like I'm about 90 and I've smoked 100 a day forever. And I've, I've never smoked in my life. You know, it's that kind of, your chest feels heavy, breathing's a bit difficult. And it hasn't been fun. It's, it's a very lonely illness because no one can come near you. You can't hug your children. You can't have a cuddle when you're feeling awful. You can't have your mum because mum's vulnerable and she's got to stay behind locked doors. But, but through the worst and... It was good to have the children and family around. It kind of, you know, I, I can, as I said, it's, it's a very lonely place to be. But because four-year-olds, you know, they, they get that there's a bug and stuff's going around, but they don't really get it at the same time. So they were pretty normal. And I think you need a bit of normality because um, then you don't think about it so much. So, you know, so I, I apologize for not being able to do the podcast, but I, I wasn't probably in the best place. And, and hopefully we'll be back because there was one point, wasn't there, when I remember we were talking about the podcast and how it might work through this period, however long it lasted. And one of our concerns, I can't believe it was a concern. It wasn't the coronavirus which popped up. One of our concerns was, would there be enough to talk about? <laughs> the tennis world has got uh, has given us enough, I think, to, to keep everybody going for a while. There's announcements. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I, I mean, is it because people are bored? It is. It, it, come on. Bored tennis players on Instagram is an absolute gift. It's it's absolutely it's, it's incredible. I mean, they're like a lot of people. They're bored. They're at home. They can't do what they love. They're having to think of other things to do. So they're they're getting on Instagram. They're suggesting ways of changing the landscape of tennis. They're putting together trying to put together relief packages i mean it's big thinking isn't it it's like it's, it's all gone a bit philosophical and let's reassess everything um some people are calling to kind of start from scratch but yes yeah, so much going on as you say and all the way from the top of course roger federer well he thought he, it was quite funny because he put out that tweet saying is anyone else thinking that this might be a good time <laughs> for the WTA and ATP to merge or however he worded it. I feel like that's a fair representation of what he was trying to say. Um, and I was just thinking, yes, this <laughs> this has been a topic of conversation for quite some years now. <laughs> it, it's not a new idea, but uh, he seemed to think that he had a light bulb moment and uh, and got a lot of people talking about it and uh, everybody was was chipping in and good on billy jean for piping up and saying well i may have first mentioned this in the 80s but you know whatever uh fed can claim it um yeah so apparently those sorts of conversations are in their very early early stages or they might be they might be happening the rumors are that there are, are some talks going on between the um slightly fractured uh, landscape of tennis between the, the various different governing bodies from someone who's played on the tour just at the outset initially what would you see as the issues that would be raised or the problems if you think there are any of combining the two tours I think there are a huge amount of hurdles and a huge amount of issues you've got to think that you know women's tennis the WTA has been around 
for such a long time now been a professional sport in its own right and we have worked alongside the men sometimes in harmony sometimes less so uh, but we have been getting, I think, sort of closer over the past few years, particularly with prize money becoming more equal, the platforms becoming more equal, kind of scheduling is becoming more equal, that, those sorts of things. So everything's kind of moving in the right direction. Look, I don't think we're going to have one governing body uh, at the end of this or ever at all, to be honest. But I think it might be a good opportunity to maybe merge in certain areas um, because surely there's got to be things that they're just overlapping on and it's just unnecessary expense. Certain amounts of the administration for tournaments, the ATP have to do it, the WTA have to do it, the ITF have to do it. You know, I'm sure there are so many things getting repeated for each governing body and that they could pull resources and could work together particularly when this is a tour that tours that's, that's what it is it's on the road the whole time you know so if you go to a grand slam you have atp offices and wta offices and as i say you're gonna have an itf offices you're gonna have somebody or three people doing the same job for each individual governing body, those sorts of things. So I think definitely by merging in certain areas, there'll be a way to streamline. Uh, will it merge overall? It's, it, it's, it's far too complicated at the moment with sponsors, conflict of interest. I mean, you know, as well as I do, even just with the media, when somebody wins the rights for men's tennis and there are conversations about doing things on site, well, what are you going to do? Because you've got the WTA boards and signs and uh, promotions and, and their sponsors in the background you can't have that because you haven't bought that you've bought the men's um, and so the combined events can get quite tricky for those sorts of things and you know what it's like um, say if you're working on the men's events waiting for the women's events to finish often I'll be working on the women's matches that you're waiting to finish and it, it, it can be very difficult so there are there are for me, there are too many hurdles to merge completely. Um, but I do think it's a good opportunity to come a little closer together. Uh, and there's got to be some common sense things where it, it's just in everybody's interest to all be on the same page. Yeah, there has to be some common ground. And even if there's not one complete merger, you feel they could definitely make it less complicated than it is now because an enormous amount of the tournaments have both the WTA and ATP at. And as you say at the moment, if say I'm working on the men's and you're working on the women's, I don't talk about the women's, you don't talk about the men's. It's almost as though they're not happening and they're not there, but of course they are there. And another factor that, that tennis fans and people in the media have brought up is it'd be great to have a central platform to watch the tennis. Because how many times have you seen a message on Twitter saying, how do I get a feed of this tournament over here? And, and how do I watch this one? And, and where do you get this? And is it possible to find that? Wouldn't it be nice to pay one subscription and, and click on a button and be able to choose your tournament, ATP or WTA? Yeah, well, for the first time in Britain, because also when it comes to rights, it's different in every country. Different broadcasters have different rights all over the place. But in Britain, for the first time in 
well, for, for that I can remember for an awful long time, WTA and ATP are on the same platform. So you can get the one subscription and you can see uh, the WTA and, and ATP both now being on Amazon. For the most part, there are some exceptions with a few tournaments here and there. So that's a, a really good boost. I mean, if you're just for the tennis fan, that you only need to get the one subscription and you can watch both. You don't have to choose because when you force people to choose, then, well, you're just losing, aren't you, really? Because they would want to watch all of Indian Wells all day, not just hop to the men's matches and hop out to court three rather than watching Serena Williams or Simona Halep on the main court, that sort of thing. So look, I don't know the ins and outs and the technicalities and the finances and all that sort of stuff. I don't even know if the WCA run uh, their entire system and their governing body in the same way as the ATP. I, I mean, there must be so many differences. The ATP created itself and the WTA has done its own thing. And I know people, there'll be some people that say, well, it shouldn't have taken Roger Federer's tweet to get things going and, and you rightly mentioned Billie Jean King but sometimes it just needs it needs a big voice male female it doesn't matter who but Roger Federer putting that tweet and and Rafa Nadal then replying saying oh as we discussed this is a great idea let's get it going or let's get discussions going etc if that can start a conversation and if that can put more weight behind something that was maybe in its infancy, then it's only a good thing. Yeah, and let's be honest here. Uh, I doubt the WTA and ATP will be immune to what is happening in the world with the pandemic. And everyone is struggling, particularly in the world of sport. Everybody's trying to streamline. Everybody's trying to be more financially viable for the future moving forward. I mean, look, there's no tennis for the foreseeable future. It's quite difficult when everything is based off of there being tennis to be played and we play all the time. There is no downtime whatsoever. Um, so I think it only makes sense that they both will be looking at that. And ITF included, all three governing bodies will be looking at how to uh, be more efficient, more effective. And it just it, it would make sense if you're the ATP, you say, well, the WTA are doing this well. So why don't we use that resource and the WTA use the ATP? I mean, even when it comes to you know contractors or people that you get involved to build a website or do this or do that, whatever, you can kind of pull resources a little bit better. So uh, I, I imagine that's kind of what really has sparked off the, the conversation. But Federer being on board is uh, always a bit of help. Now, let me ask you. At this point, there's still rumblings of tournaments trying to squeeze in later in the season. There was talk, I think there's a newspaper article saying that US Open, why not hold the US Open at Indian Wells? Because that rules out your weather problems. And there was also talk in, in L'Equipe in France about Roland Garros pushing back a week to allow a mini clay court season between the US Open and Roland Garros. So with all this said... Are you hopeful? Where are you on any tennis being played in 2020? Because amazingly, I am still hopeful and positive that we are going to see some tennis this year. Oh, I think we'll see some tennis. What kind of tennis? <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not hopeful in any way. You will not be surprised to know. I mean, look, again, if, you are the, if you're the governing body, you have to plan for there to be tennis. At the moment, it looks like it's... I think there was talk about it, uh, the postponement going up to August, right? Um, so you have to kind of plan that we might be able to play the US Open and the French Open and how are we going to do that? When is it going to be? How is it going to look? Those sorts of things. But... Uh, 
Is it likely? I, I don't think so. But even if there's a 30% chance that it might happen, 40% chance it might happen, they have to at least look at that, right? They have to have to try their best uh, to do it. Um, but uh, I, like I was saying in the last pod, I just think tennis is at such a disadvantage with the global nature of the sport, the logistics of it. It's different to most other sports apart from the one-off big events like olympics and those sorts of things it's just um, it's a lot more international and so is the pandemic thank you to victor who just wanted to know if we're both okay because notice there haven't been um episodes uh, a couple of pods for the last couple of weeks so um we've cleared that one up we had i was just trying to find out we had another question and it was about you know we've seen all these insta lives and we've i think one of the funniest is benoit pair and stan vavrinka (laughs) i mean i mean i'm not even sure we should be listening in on these chats but but they're great and we had rafa nadal trying to well trying to figure out technology i think was the best thing trying to trying to find Roger Federer to bring him into the conversation was was just wonderful because you could see that sort of quizzical look that Nadal has on his face when he's playing and this time it was kind of close up in the camera and there was someone obviously whispering beside him what to press I mean I wouldn't have a clue but what to press and how to do it Uh, and these are wonderful things that we never would have got to experience but one of the questions we were asked is is do you think that the players open up more when they're asked to question by another player? Uh, yes, I think so, on the whole. I think I think it's just that knowledge that the other player kind of like understands. So I think they just feel more comfortable in explaining themselves. Uh, I mean, on the whole, nothing hugely revelatory as far as I can make out, but um, definitely interesting to see them chat. One thing, it was great with the, the Nadal and Federer chat. I think I was looking at the, the numbers on Insta Live, and I think it was about 30,000 when Rafa was just sort of, he was waffling, bless him. And he was answering a few <laughs> questions. And I think he was trying to be brave and go for that, get someone else into the conversation, the technology. When Federer appeared, he went up to about 60 or 70,000 who were tuning in. And he was great. He had, and then he had Andy Murray on and it dipped a little bit. And I think poor old Mark Lopez, who we know is is a very close friend of Nadal. I think it went down to about 17,000. Something that Mark Lopez commented on, that when Federer was in, there was sort of 60, 70,000. I mean, it's, you know, if these guys do anything, you know, Djokovic has been chatting with Fanini in Italian and in English. And we had the Djokovic. Other, in other words, showing off. Basically, yes. <laughs> um, and he's been doing lots of different, he's been very active um, on it. but these the big guys I mean look when when they speak people listen because they've got the fan base and it's just something we're not used to is it we're not used to seeing them we're not used to seeing videos of Nadal with a beard cooking and and, <laughs> and, and cooking and using his right hand and that led Roger Federer to ask him the question about so he can play with both he said no I can't play with my right hand so I've never he says I do everything with my right hand but I cannot play tennis so it's like little I find we're finding out little things maybe we could have found out in, in everyday life but I don't know that the players just have a way of finding it out yeah there's there's such a, a sort of a drive and a thirst for the insight because we just don't really get much in tennis not until you know at the end and Agassi writes his book and that sort of thing and then you learn all of this stuff um and for me look I'm 
before anybody jumps down my throat, I'm not looking forward to the top three finishing, but I'm just saying that one of the things I'm looking forward to when they do finish is that hopefully we will finally get some insight. I feel like we've got a little bit more insight into what Federer does, um, maybe because he's been around longer. Um, But Nadal and Djokovic, in terms of their training, have been very, very tight-lipped over the years. Like You would have no... I mean, you couldn't even guess, does Djokovic do six hours a day? Does he do two? Like You know, I know he wakes up every morning, starts with gratitude, as he said to uh, to Andy Murray. And Andy Murray starts with a P. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) I don't know how Djokovic manages it without peeing. Um, (laughs) You're just very grateful. (laughs) But um, yeah, I just think that everybody craves that insight from those three. And I hope that we will get sit down conversations amongst all three of them post career and they can actually open up a little bit about how they operated, you know, whether it's to do with tactics, how they play each other, that sort of thing, because we only see it and we can make all of these assumptions as to this is how... Uh, Rafa plays against Federer, for example. These are the changes he makes, and we can, but we don't know that's what he's trying to do. It might be an, a subconscious thing. You don't know. Um, so, yeah, that will be really interesting. So, we had a little bit of a glimpse of what that might be like. I think, particularly, the conversations between Roger and Rafa. They, have, of course, have known each other so long, so well. They seem to genuinely get on and have just huge, huge respect for each other. Um, yeah, I reckon you could probably film them having a conversation for a good five hours or so and talking through moments in their careers and what they were thinking and, and those sorts of things. It would be it would be fascinating. So I think, yeah, everybody was just kind of craving that. We didn't really get any of that, but that's fair enough. It's It's been interesting. And I think, and the other thing that's come up, I mean, the list is so long, is talk of a financial package which Novak Djokovic seems to have been leading. Would that be right? In terms of writing the letter and and putting together some form of plan as to where you are in the rankings, what you would possibly donate and then would add to it from um, different associations. And and voila, you have money to give to possibly the players down as 700 in the world, which sounds a wonderful thing to do. Before we go on to the players who've sort of come out since, what's your thinking as to that kind of package and and to go down as to 700 in the world? Look, I I think ultimately it's great if that is what Djokovic wants to do with his money and what other players want to do with their money. They want to support the lower end of the sport. I think, sure, go for it. I think where I disagree and where I kind of agree with Dominic Team, who came out uh, yesterday with a tweet um, basically saying that he didn't want to do that and he would rather put his money somewhere else, um, I, I think that's fair enough as well. I don't feel like the players should be pressurised to. And there's a lot of talk, even the original number that was bounced around, people were saying, well, hang on a minute, mate, you've earned however many hundreds of millions in prize money. Why aren't you doing better than this? And you just think he doesn't need to support the lower players in any way. What he's doing is great. And I think just got to be <laughs> accepting and appreciative of that. I can understand a little bit of pressure going on to the governing bodies to try and support a chunk of players. I would focus that uh, 
the the support any sort of relief that can go forward on the players just outside Grand Slam qualifying. So looking at kind of um, probably two hundred to. 350 because anything lower than that particularly in the women's game i know it, it, there's a few more opportunities in the men's game for earning money but anything lower than that you're not earning any money you're losing money each year you're spending money to go to tournaments so this isn't going to cripple players i totally understand that this situation might encourage players to quit earlier than they would have just like a big injury might um, because it's a long layoff, you have to consider other options, you start living your life a little bit differently, and sometimes you could think, you know what, maybe I am done, maybe the motivation isn't there. But if you're ranked, you know, we talk about 700, if you're ranked 700, I mean, you're spending money every year, whether that's your money, the Federation's money, uh, your parents' money, you know, whatever it is, you're spending it, it's the same for everyone, it doesn't matter where you're from in the world. For me, you know, there's been a little bit of chat about how the the bottom the bottom third of the sport, you know, we're at risk of losing them. And I just, I'm not saying they're wrong. I, I, I'm happy to be corrected, but I know that um, when I had a little <laughs> little foray coming back into tennis and played for best part of the year, I went from unranked to 350 um, in sort of a six month period. I mean, I w- in the end, I think I was about 10 grand down. Um, in t- and I didn't go to the cheapest possible tournaments, but I didn't in any way go to the most expensive tournaments at all. Um, and yeah, so if I was in that position, rank 350, and this happened, well, then I'm just not spending that amount of expense. So I don't quite understand why... The, the money and the relief would go past the level of people who were breaking even. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I think it's a tricky one. I mean, a lot of people focusing on Dominic Team's comments and, and with a lot of interviews that are coming out, people say, well, maybe, you know, it was lost in translation or it didn't because uh, Sasha's very... I love that. Whenever anyone hears something they don't like, <laughs> he must not have meant it. He must have been lost in well, translation. Had, wasn't there? There was the Sasha's way of talking. Someone sort of wrote this big quote saying about... You know, if the pandemic hadn't come, the big three would be finished and, and then the new guys would have come through. And everyone's like, whoa, where's this coming from? He's not even the, the best of the next gen at the moment. And then you saw the the transcript from an interview he gave and it was sort of two or three questions and answers that kind of been mashed together. And yes, he was saying similar things, but maybe not quite. It was a little bit out of context. Yeah, it's a little bit it? out yeah. of context. Um, and now Dominic Team's comments, Dominic Team's saying, look, I would... I'd love to, I, and he does, support causes and give to worthy causes. But is he that keen on just giving a, a chunk of his own money to players down to sort of six, 700 in the world? He, in his words, in this translation, is not sure if all of them deserve it. And you know what? There are going to yeah. be people in that 700 that do not deserve it. I'm sure there are going to be people in that 700 that maybe don't try or haven't done it for a while. I, surely there have to be, but... Also, there's going to be an equal number, if not more, that give absolutely everything to be a professional in the sport. Well, possibly. But when you do look at those numbers, and I have had conversations with the ITF, particularly surrounding their restructure last year, about what that chunk of players looks like, what is it made up of? And it would be nice to believe that 50% of them are up-and-coming youngsters, but it's just not the case. You're talking maybe 5% tops are players that are 
looking to really really progress and there are always going to be some exceptions of people that get stuck around three or four hundred and can't quite push on for a while and then they manage to make that breakthrough it's incredibly rare but um the bulk of those players ranked from i would say 350 down to 750 are players that have been there for a, a very long time we were saying years they've been in those positions for years or they've been higher and they've fallen down for years they're, they're people that have been there for a while they're not moving through as it were and have now suddenly got stuck because of coronavirus and they're panicking that's where they sit um and and it's not to be derogatory towards them because you know they have a place in the sport but i don't you know i was talking to a friend of mine actually so i'm going to credit her with this um because we were we were chatting about it and if you actually just put it into perspective into other industries other careers it doesn't make any sense so like a good friend a, a different friend is an actress and she is in my eyes reasonably successful she works in plays and small events and now of course cannot earn anything because you know there's nothing there's nothing to earn there's no plays on there's no theaters open everything has shut down she's not asking Brad Pitt to chuck her 50 grand to see her through the year <laughs> like um and, you know and there, there are so many examples actually I was reading this morning about uh, Dave Chappelle uh, when it comes to the comedians he did like a fundraising comedy night with uh Bill Burr and lots of these big American comedians and they they fundraised I think over a hundred thousand dollars to help uh the comedians who don't earn as much money as them and don't have multi-millions in the bank and again, I think that's brilliant. Like, I think that's great. Um, and I, I think that if I was in that position within tennis, that I would like to give some money to the to the lower ranked players as well. But I just think that it should be like a choice and it should be appreciated if it happens. It shouldn't, Dominic Team should not be made to feel bad because he would rather give his money to doctors and nurses. Like, I, I, I think it can be a bit tricky and I feel sometimes I feel like it's a little bit entitled because as I say I'm, I'm talking specifically about the group of players that don't earn any money from the sport anyway so you know why should they now earn money yeah it, it, it's it's initially you read it and it, it sounded like a, a wonderful gesture and, and Djokovic was trying to do mm -hmm. something and financially he can afford to do it but it's it's again quite difficult and of course these people can afford it the people he's talking about giving their money but yes the, there will be a sense and Dominic team has been the first one to sort of stick his hand up and say well you know I'm not sure I'm I'm massively comfortable in doing this and the money I'd like to go somewhere else I guess the difficulty with tennis at the moment is maybe one day but they cannot at the moment like ahead of the Australian bushfires at the Australian Open players came together they had they raised money they all took part before the tournament started and that was <laughs> Excuse me. And that was a great way of them being able to contribute and raise some money towards it. Unfortunately, the situation we have, they can't do that because there is no tennis at the moment. But look, at the moment, we've got the virtual Madrid Open taking place. Now, there is prize money up for grabs. And whoever wins that, and we can't just automatically assume it'll be Rafa Nadal because I don't know what he's like at computer games. But whoever wins that has the choice of how much of the prize money, total prize money, they keep or they donate yeah of course it's like the fundraiser that, that Dave Chappelle did for example we did an online streaming comedy night and that's and that's what they did and and, and as I say look I think it, it's great any sort of help and relief that is offered I think should be 
be greatly received and it's because people love the sport um and i understand that i mean look the 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 problem that has been or is being resolved very very slowly is the disparity in in prize money through the ranks we know that it's quite extreme in tennis in comparison to other sports we know that that needs to be addressed when i was playing there were 100 jobs for women and 150 jobs for men in terms of those that earned money now there are probably 200 jobs for women and 250 jobs for men roughly speaking maybe a little bit less i'm being a bit generous and i hope that within the next decade that can increase further Further. I think that would be that that's where we need to get to. How were you coping with unemployment and lockdown? <laughs> it's a bit tedious, I'm not gonna lie. Um everything's fine, really. Yeah, like not struggling or anything. Um but uh just filling the days, passing the time walking the dog you must have the most walked i was thinking about the beneficiaries from from lockdown and look there's there's plenty of positives i mean this time that uh, my other half and i get to spend with the boys 24 7 is amazing and we will look back and you know this time next year i'll be complaining to you that i haven't had any time off and i haven't seen the boys and i'm feeling guilty so you know there are positives we can take from this but surely one of the biggest beneficiaries are dogs I mean, because people, I, I've I've got friends, I, a friend of mine, they have a dog. She never walked the dog. The dog was, you know, that she's got two young children and it was like her husband's job was the dog. You know, it was like, mm. I, I just love the dog, not walking the dog. They're now fighting over who takes the dog out because it means, it means you get out the house. And if you've got young children, you can just have a bit of you time. But she's literally saying, I just want to walk the dog. I need to walk the dog. That that dog is going out so much every day because it's like, oh, yeah, I've got to take the dog out. Yeah, the dog really needs to go out. So I think dogs are big beneficiaries from this. Yeah, I I think that they're doing pretty well. I'm slightly concerned for dogs, though, when people go back to work and they're left on their own because they've basically just not been on their own. And by the time that happens, it would have been for months. I mean, Sven will be all right. He's pretty chill. He's right next to me, staring at me because he wants his dinner. But um, he'll, he'll, be, he'll, be, he'll be all right. I've, I've, I'm definitely going to have separation anxiety from the boys. I mean, you spend the early years of your life tied to your children. And then you have that moment when they go to school or preschool or something. And that's difficult. And for me, with the traveling, that's difficult. And then you're kind of back to square one because you are together 24 hours a day. And it's... And, on one level, it's lovely and it's really nice and you're with them and you look after them, you take care of them. I'm sort of almost dreading in a way that, that day when they go back to school and you're like, right, okay. Um, okay, they, they've gone. Um, whether, whether when there's talk that could be the beginning of June for schools to open. Um, I mean, who knows how things are going to unfold. I, I'm still positive there will be tennis. I know you're not. This, Excellent. This year. Well, look. No, good. No, one of us somebody needs to be positive. has to stay positive um and and can i just say it was sean that sent us quite a few questions but one of them was about do the players feel a bit more relaxed if they're being interviewed by other players so thank you so much for that sean we're gonna we will get through the other questions i mean as i say we thought we were going to need so many questions but tennis i mean we haven't even got around to talking about jv murray talking about a tournament in in the uk and patrick moratoglu in france setting a tournament up and Tennis Australia looking at ways after John Millman was quite vocal about setting up a tournament in Australia. And and look, why not? If it gets to the point 
where we can move around in our respective countries. And you can be, you can social distance in tennis. You can't have a lot of people watching, but you know, you're, you're spread out by a net that there is a chance that we could have some sort of little inter-country tournaments at some stage, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, yeah, definitely domestically things you would assume would pick up before international. So, yeah, the notion of kind of a British nationals or the equivalent in Australia, those sorts of things, that might uh, might kick off and, and could be interesting. I think the player's just going to be desperate to play a match, to be honest, any sort of live tennis they'll be jumping at the chance are you still cooking or is that are you bored of that now is that uh yeah less so um made a few cakes blueberry cake that was good made some muffins bits and pieces but i'm trying to restrict it to like one thing a week because you know you just eat it yeah yeah if i see a banana i never want to see a banana again i've done everything that is possible to do with the banana on the cooking front um everything's been cooked even the boys they had like a zoom uh, chat with their class today which is i mean it's it's slightly painful because you've got 31 ch- well more because we've got two sets of twins but you've got all these children and this teacher goes around them one individually at a time so x what have you done today what have you been doing do you know what i mean it's it's lovely that they get to see each other but it's re- it lasted over an hour wow did they concentrate that whole time I was trying not to be on the screen, so I, I sort of bribed the boys with sort of Nintendo and sweets to kind of stay there. Um, but no, you'd get sort of blank screens where the child had kind of fallen off a chair or left, and you could hear the parent in the background saying, get back, go on, sit there, do that. You know. <laughs> but they came to the twins and they said, what have you been doing? And obviously they decided they'd forgotten how to talk. When all they do is talk, 24 hours, well, when they're awake, all they do is talk. They'd forgotten how to talk. And... And I, so I was whispering things to the side. I said, what about banana muffins? And and so one of the twins said, oh, we keep getting banana muffins. I'm like, all right. <laughs> um, and then they finished. So all these lovely little girls were saying, oh, I've made a fairy garden and I've built a castle and all these wonderful things. And then the other twin piped up with it at the end. And and our mum's, our mummy's rubbish at Mario Kart. And I oh, thought, wow. brilliant. That's so, a statement. Basically, all they got across was that they're fed up of banana muffins and I'm rubbish at Nintendo. So it was, that was a success. That was the success of the day. But I'm going to, there is a lot to talk about, but I, I don't think I can talk for much more because due to the, the wonders of your editing, people probably won't hear, but I'm coughing quite a lot. <laughs> um, I found that every so I leave time, it all in? <laughs> well, I found that every time I laugh, I cough. That's good. It hasn't been a very funny pod, so that's fine. <laughs> if you've said something funny, I apologize. I just can't. <coughs> I can't cough when I laugh. So, but I think, yeah, I think I need to go and have a have a rest, have a steam. I know it's it's. Inc- it, I just still can't get over how it gets you so quickly, and and oh, it's mad, and knocks you down so completely. And I'd just say to anyone that you know, if you know anyone vulnerable underlying conditions whatever please lock them up don't let them out keep them safe um i mean you know if my mum even thought about leaving the house these days i'm literally just gonna i'm padlocking her in well i'm just thrilled that you're feeling a bit better and uh, we're back to back to podding it's it's good to be back and sorry again everyone that we missed a couple but there was a, a pretty good reason but we're back now and as long as we both stay well then we will continue to pod through this tennis hiatus. 
although that could be for another six months or so. <laughs> we will go as long as we can. We will go as long as we can, but I have gone for as long as I can, and, and I think I have to stop now. Okay. All right. Well, we'll catch up next week then. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.